Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. To the boldness, my, my name's Phineas Mir. Sadly, Raphael Caleb can't be with us today because he's, uh, well, he's, he's uh, broken his shoulder, so we wish him well in his recovery and rehab. Uh, <clears throat> before we go on, I should just say that boldness is about grabbing your human rights, not just waiting for some well-meaning p- person to give them to you. Now, coming up on... Today's show, we are lucky to have, we're talking about the budget from a disability perspective, and we're very lucky to have Ross Joyce, the CEO of AFTO, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations, with us. Hello, Ross. Hi, Finn. How are you? Good, thanks. So, so what, what, what is the, what has the, uh, what has the, 2020 year meant for people for people with a disability uh well as we all know on COVID 19 sort of put the kibosh on a lot of things and um, impacted severely on um, people with disability and certainly the work that afto has been doing um took us in completely different directions and and meant that we um we have to focus as you appreciate finn we focus on being the voice of people with disability across Australia on a national basis. Uh, we had a lot of additional work uh, that involved us and all of those um, and my colleagues across the advocacy sector um, that we had to put in to ensure that people with disability weren't forgotten as part of the considerations of COVID planning and policy. Um, so that took a fair bit of work initially. We, we got over that. And I think if we talk budget-wise and we look at where we are, um, I think there are a couple of good things that the federal government did do, and you know, one of those is definitely uh, JobKeeper, making sure that uh, that certainly assisted quite a number of not-for-profits in order to continue operating. Uh, we've certainly seen a shift in funding uh, or availability of funding. Thing, you know, um, a lot of it has been directed to, and, and quite rightly in in, in a way, uh, directed to those organisations that is assisting people with responding to COVID-19. Um, however, for those of us that, that occupy the advocacy space, it means that um, there have been some less opportunities for us to be able to obtain funding that we need to do the work that we do on behalf of people with disability in advocating for their rights. 
and in looking at policies and, and as I said, in looking at the COVID policies just, just on its own at a national and also at a state territory level. Has so it's been an interesting journey this year. Has there, has there been enough done generally to, to ensure that disability, people with disabilities could get, get through the COVID pandemic? Uh, I think that more could be done and we've certainly put our thoughts in uh, when we responded and I provided evidence at the, um, at the Disability Royal Commission and on the response to COVID-19 for people with disability. There's a few areas that um, are still of concern for us. Uh, segregated settings is one of those um, where uh, we don't believe that um, enough pre-policy work was in there and that basically those sort of settings made their own decisions about uh, basically uh, keeping people with disability um, in whatever setting they're in and not allowing them out and not allowing them access to their circles of support. Inclusive in that is um, advocates, individual advocacy agencies weren't able to um, go and see people in those sort of settings either. Um, so we've asked for that uh, to be changed and for individual advocates to be considered as um, workers um, and that they should be allowed into, and that's about maintaining um, and checking on the welfare of people with disability and that supported accommodation sort of scenarios and any other sort of um, segregated setting. Um, so the other side is, I think, with PPE, I think that's been a significant issue for people with disability and not having access to those uh, personal protective equipment uh, supplies. And we saw a mixed response from the NDIS uh, the, through the NDIA, the agency, in whether people were able to put that through or whether they had to pay for it out of their plans and there was a bit of confusion. Um, so I think that's been resolved, um, but I still think uh, that doesn't take into account a lot of people with disability because as you know, the, um, the National Disability Insurance Scheme is for about 400, at full rollout is for about 465,000 Australians with disability. Um, but there's about 4.4, 4.5 million people in Australia with, with disability. And therefore, quite a number of those would also require access to PPE. And I don't think that was given enough priority. And that's something, again, that we're still continuing to discuss with uh, federal and state governments. And um, I think that whole area of the stockpile, the national stockpile, needs to be looked at uh, in terms of access to that. For instance, service providers, uh, those service providers providing supports for people with disability across Australia weren't able to get immediate access. Now, if it was a health service provider, you can get it. But in a disability support provision, they weren't able to get their own direct access to that. Now, we've got to change the way we look at these sort of things. Um, a health issue is significant. Uh, and in an emergency situation like that, we need to be cognizant of um, people with disability, particularly requiring daily supports, need to ensure that not only are they safe and protected, but also that the workers are safe and protected because the biggest worry we had, Finn, was that, um, and it didn't eventuate, but the biggest worry we had is that um, some um, support staff may, may withdraw from providing service. Now, that happened in, not in a large way, it happened in a small way, which was great, but the potential was there for, for people with disability not to have those daily supports um, that they need to, to live their life. 
what what impact of the of government government not factoring in disability into the pandemic response and providing people with disability providing people with disabilities uh, services what what impact what impact did 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 that have on people with disabilities well, I think it created um, anxiety confusion um, and led to people being very uncertain about what they could get or not get. Um, uh, I think a number of the service providers did a very good job in, in letting people know that they were still continuing to provide services through the pandemic. <clears throat> and hats off to those support staff that, um, you know, continued to uh, provide those services instead of um, thinking, well, I'm going to withdraw from that. So, you know, you talk about frontline um, service provision and, you know, we've had fantastic workers in the health side of things and in the ambulance sector and in, in all of those emergency response side. But, you know, sometimes people f forget about the um, support workers that go, that work, and, you know, and I would include in that um, those people providing those supports in, in aged care as well. So... Um, I think we we managed to convince early on, and it took about the first six six weeks to eight weeks to get um, more recognition happening at that uh, national um, advisory cabinet level, um, which involved all the states and territories. So we eventually got the message through as a sector, um, and uh, you know, I think we had some good good outcomes from that. But I think we can do better, Finn. Um, I think we should learn from this and, and change a few more things and do some more policy changes and make sure that if we, if we face a, another pandemic or an epidemic, because remember, we're, this is a worldwide pandemic, but you could actually have an epidemic that only affects one or more states in Australia. It's quite possible. Uh, we're all hoping that nothing like that happens. But what we do need to do is ensure we've got the planning and the comms and the engagement piece right uh, before we get to those sort of scenarios. And the bushfires and the floods is, is always another good example of that, where that does impact on people with disability, of course, and their families. And, um, you know, we need to be sure that uh, messaging is accessible and that um, we do have solid policies and procedures and emergency maps and plans sorted out in advance, not doing it in arrears. What, what type... What type of things? What what type of things need to change? Well, I think I mentioned a couple of things. So you know, I think that um, there's a need to to look at um, how we undertake our emergency planning across the board. And as I said, it's not just about a pandemic, an epidemic. It could be any other emergency situation, flood, fire, etc. Um, there could be other scenarios that we haven't quite thought about, but I'm sure others that work in that space have. And we need to ensure that built into that is that people with disability are considered front and centre in that. Um, we had a large focus in this pandemic at the beginning on uh, people um, uh, in aged care facilities, etc., and quite rightly, but it still needed to include in that uh, consideration for people with disability as well. So there's a few things there that need to happen. There's a few things that need to happen for the protection for people with disability. And there's also even straightforward things, which you would think are straightforward, like accessibility of communication. Um, you know, um, the Prime Minister coming out and, and there was no Auslan 
um, interpreter, you know. And now, they sorted that out since then, but then we've had a great, and, and I think most of the media have now learned a lot from that, and um, they ensure that there is prominence given uh, to the Auslan interpreters in um, particularly those emergency meetings and meetings where people need to definitely have information provided. And then added to that, of course, is captioning, and added to that is you need to put messaging out in plain English, easy English, and then you need to also consider cold communities, of course. And I think the other side that um, needs greater consideration, uh, people with disability um, in First Peoples uh, nations as well. Um, so look, I think that we've learned a lot. I think there's a lot of things we can improve. And I think uh, our role in terms of AFTO and our other colleagues across the disability sector is to ensure that the good things that we've seen happen are kept and that areas where we do need improvement, you know, we work on those and continue to work on those with the governments. What, in terms of the, in terms of the, 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 the budget uh, that was just announced, is, yep. is there, was there enough emphasis or, or, or money given to people with, with disabilities? Um, I think there could be more. And I think um, the job maker um, hasn't included people with disability, although I'm trying to get at the bottom of that because um, uh, the Prime Minister mentioned uh, in one of his addresses that it would include um, uh, young people with disability as well. Uh, we certainly want to see that and see that as really important that uh, young people with disability get that opportunity to participate in job maker. And the other side that we're obviously concerned about is that older people with disability aren't disadvantaged through that or other older Australians aren't disadvantaged by that scheme. Well, we'll be back after these community service announcements. Street CR Community Radio, 855 AM. is Lot of Stars, where Lot will give reviews of movies or TV shows on or at the cinemas or streaming on your digital devices. Hi Lods, what film are you reviewing today? The Peanut Butter Falcon on Amazon Prime. It's rated M. And who are the leading actors? It stars Shia LaBeouf as Tyler from the Transformer franchise. Dakota Johnson as Eleanor from Fifty Shades of Grey and introducing Zach Gottsagen as Zach. Who directed this film? Tyler Nielsen and Michael Schwartz. Eloise, tell me about this film. The film is a comedy drama. It's about a young man named Zach who has Down syndrome. He runs away from a nursing home to find a wrestling school that he has seen on some old videotapes. The name Peanut Butter Falcon is his chosen wrestling name. He's up with a small time crook and they become good friends. His nursing home carer, Eleanor, is sent by her boss to find and return him to the nursing home. Follows are the many adventures and trials on their journey through the swamps and Everglades of Florida. Zach just wants to be like everybody else. And the friendship between the three of them is funny and heartwarming. <laughs> 
I love the fact that an actor with Down syndrome was cast to play the main part in this film. I thought the film had a good message. The acting was good and the scenery was interesting. Is there anything you didn't like about the film? No, I really enjoyed it. So how many stars did you give it, Loz? Seven out of ten. Thank you, Loz, and thank you for listening to Loz's Stars. You're on the boldness with Finn. Hopefully you're enjoying your Wednesday evening. Our guest tonight is Ross Joyce from APTO, Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. And we're talking, the, we're talking, well, the government's response to uh, people with disabilities during the COVID crisis and also so the, the budgets... So before uh, you were just talking about the bu- budget, bu- we were just talking about the budget before us. What kind of things? <clears throat> what kind of things do should should have been included in the in the budget that weren't? Yeah, thanks, Finn. Um, yeah, I mentioned about um, job maker and how we want to ensure that young people with disability aren't left out of. Um, the opportunity to participate in that scheme. But I also flag that we have a bit of a concern that those people that are 36 years of age and older with disability um, can't participate in that scheme. And um, like others, I'm worried about the impact for older Australians and obviously we're worried about the impact for older Australians with disability. Um, And we want to ensure that they do um, get the opportunity to join the workforce. People with disability make incredible workers in any workforce and that diversity of the workforce uh, only enriches any organisation or, or small company or small business that takes them on and they have a lot of uh, advantages that they can bring. Um, so I think there's a need for that. I think the other one that we would like to see and I know that this is you know this budget was really a let's be honest it was response to the COVID-19 scenario and where we found ourselves. The next budget I mean if you if you ask me about my big wish list Finn um, I think we really want to see um, some solid funding put in to ensure that the National Disability Strategy, which is just under review at this point, the National Disability Strategy has some money put towards it and resources so we can ensure that we actually do get some significant outcomes from the next five to ten years of that strategy's operation. And that that includes, Finn, also that um, we'd also like to put that appeal out to uh, state and territory governments as well they need to also be chipping in there. I know that local governments have been doing a lot of good work on um, developing up different disability um, uh, access plans and plans for their own communities. Um, That can be a a key role in pushing that forward at a state territory level as well. Uh, But there does need to be resourcing at all those levels of government to ensure that we can all get the best out of the National Disability Strategy. So I think that's, um, if you're asking me what's on my wish list or our wish list from the AFCO membership, that one would be a key one. And um, the other side that we would like to see is obviously um, the advocacy role um, reinforced. Um, You know, we do a lot of work with lots of different uh, levels of government. 
and lots of different communities and um, our representation is about um, in the main disability specific communities and also cross disability communities and we think it's really important that advocacy is, is kept front and centre and is supported by government because the voice of civil society only benefits everybody across society and uh, needs to be listened to as part of you know, this country's commitment to the United Nations um, uh, um, agreements on uh, the CRPD and, and for people with disability. What, what, is, what is advocacy, a strong advocacy, advocacy sector provide people with disabilities? Uh, well, one, um, so the work that AFTO does, we don't do individual advocacy, so we're working on what's called systemic advocacy which is the bigger side of the advocacy uh, uh, tree. We're looking at uh, on a national footprint, but we also go down to state and territory jurisdictions as well, looking at what those governments are doing. And we also pr provide that conduit through to government to inform them about views on different issues for people with disability, what we believe would be um, sector views, and what would we believe would be community views on that, which is informed in AFTO's case from our our, um, our wide membership organisations that represent disability specific communities as well as cross disability communities. So the other side of advocacy, of course, is the individual advocacy and also there needs to be support for people that want to undertake self-advocacy as well. Um, the individual advocacy area is really key to assisting a lot of people to, you know, um, sort out issues for them and help them to live a normal uh, standard life as all, everybody wants to. But sometimes you need to ensure that the rights of people are, are enforced and you need somebody to do that. So a strong individual advocacy sector is absolutely essential for that. I mentioned self-advocacy. I think it's really important that people with disability be given opportunities to learn more about advocacy and to advocate for their own rights as well and understand what those rights are. So that's about resourcing and providing that training, if you like, and, and how to go about that. And there's some excellent organisations around Australia that are doing that as we speak. But all of those things need to be supported. What, so just going back to the going back to the going back to the budget for a minute, did people yeah. um, just um, people were saying that they didn't have enough to, they didn't have enough to, during the COVID crisis, they didn't have enough to cover their basic uh, living expenses plus medications and and yeah. uh, the added cost of P PPE and the like. Um, what, 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 what could be done, what could be done to better ensure people have a, a greater standard of living Ross? Look, we, we think, um, and, and in particular for people with disability, those on the disability support pension, we, um, we think there's a need to look at that. We were, we were pushing with that to ensure that they also receive the COVID uh, supplement that was given to other benefits. That didn't happen. And we do know that people with disability have more um, outgoings and costs than people without disability. Um, and um, that's something that we need to really consider as a society and, and that should be part of the budget moving forward uh, to cater for those impacts. Um, I certainly would say that um, the two payments that people on the DSP received, the same as those on 
the age pension of $750 um, each time did did go some of the way, but it was nowhere near the amount that would be needed to cover the additional expenses that people did experience with disability through COVID-19. My, my guest today is Ross Joyce, the CEO of AFTO, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. So is, can, can, um, can governments can can governments or do do more to ensure people with disabilities are looked after in the in the budget yeah absolutely finn um you know we always each each time the budgets come up um, we try to do it at state but um we're not a large resourced organization so we certainly make sure that at federal level that we always put in a budget submission and cover off on a range of things that need to happen in there um such as you know, we need to look at uh, people that aren't part of the NDIS that have disability and, and what's happening for them. Uh, what are the other things that we can do? And, and also people with disability that are over 65 and, and part of the um, aged system, what sort of supports are they really getting and is that enough? And we don't believe it is. So, you know, there's a whole range of areas that we do need to focus on um, and that we can make sure that, you know, we push as a community to ensure that greater resourcing is, is applied for people with disability. What kind, of, what kind of supports are people getting if they're not access, if they don't have access to, to, the, to the disability support pension? Yeah, well, that's a good point. And um, normally they have to provide for their own supports. Um, sometimes they may be able to afford that. I'm not convinced that everybody could. Uh, we mentioned that it's about four, four and a half million people have a disability in Australia and um, some do their own and, and are quite good at doing their own self-support. Others do need um, other supports and, and as I said, um, not everybody's part of that uh, 465,000 that are part of the National Disability Insurance Scheme and then not everybody is on the disability support pension. So, um, you know, I think we need to recognise as a... a, a a well-operating society that we can afford to look after all people across our society. And so, fi finally, finally, Ross, where, where, can, uh, finally, Ross, what in twenty in twenty twenty one? What are you, What's your? What's your? What's your wish list? What are you hoping governments pro provide people with disabilities? Yeah, I mentioned earlier, um, definitely want to see uh, funding tipped towards resourcing and actually achieving and making outcomes valuable from the National Disability Strategy, uh, the new iteration of that, which is worked on at the moment. I think employment is another key one and employment opportunities for people with disability. I think part of that involves um, government putting into and ensuring that disability awareness and diversity training happens across um, the small medium enterprises i'm not talking about the big end of town there i'm talking about those businesses across australia which employ about 90 percent of people um, and they're on the smaller end usually below 200 employees so one to 200 employees It'd be essential that we can fill them in on what the opportunities are and the government supports that are there for people with disability so we can get more people with disability uh, participating economically in, in a job 
And um, that's something that all Australians want. And people with disability are no different to anybody else. Um, and uh, so I'd like to see something in that uh, line. And that's what we're putting to the government as well, like we continually do. And um, as I mentioned, looking at what are those levels of supports to people that aren't part of the NDIS? What's happening for those people from you know 16 to 64 years of age, that people with disability? What, what are they able to uh, do to obtain some support and some assistance? What's also happening for those people with disability that are in the aged care side of things from 65 years onwards? Uh, there's been a big focus, and quite rightly, on the massive change of the NDIS. I think we now need to take a pause on that. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done in that area, but we need to focus on those other couple of areas for people with disability as well, and make sure that we are ensuring their rights and ensuring that they are included in totally within society in all elements. So uh, if people want to find out more information, Ross, where can they, where can they go? Certainly our website has a wealth of information there. Um, as I said, we, we don't do individual advocacy, but we certainly provide lots of resources. So www.aftoafdo.org.au. Um, and uh, we're more than happy for people to jump on and see the resourcing and see some of the things that we've been working on and, and happy to take input from people on any of that. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, Ross. Thanks, Finn. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, good luck with the rest of the shows. Thanks. That was Ross Joyce, the CEO of AFTO, the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. Uh, <clears throat> so, so sadly, we've got, sadly, we've got to go. Sadly, we must go, but uh, we'll be back on, on the third week of December, so don't forget to tune in then. Complete by Lovely. Her up next. Cheers. <laughs>